Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast, core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Auden Swaminathan. And I'm Jenny Beck-Esme. So Jenny, before we launch into the topic, I heard you had a pretty incredible case that came in just a couple days ago. I had maybe the greatest day of my residency happen just a couple days ago. That's saying a lot. I was working... It was it was really exciting. Now, wait, just for the record, so everybody knows, we worked together for half of that shift. Is that right? We worked together until moments after you left. And moments after I left is when you started to have the best shift of your life. Is that right? <laughs> well, the, re- the first half was really stellar as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Let's talk about the case. <laughs> okay. So I'm working on the side that's closest to our ambulance triage, and I hear some screaming coming from the ambulance triage area, which is not an unusual thing to happen at Bellevue, right, right. but it definitely didn't sound like emotionally disturbed person screaming. So I decided to check it out. I grab some blue gloves. I run up to the triage area, and there's an extraordinarily gravid woman from whom the screaming is coming. Mm, interesting. So you five and two'd her and sent her to psych. Absolutely. That's, yeah. yes, standard, Perfect. standard Perfect. practice. <laughs> no. I wheeled her over to this little EKG kind of curtained off area that we have and to do a cervical check like we always do to see if the, the woman can make it upstairs to our labor and delivery area. And as soon as I started to do the cervical check, we quickly realized she was not going to make it anywhere because she was crowning. Excellent. So baby coming out, delivery in the ED, always a little high stress. Very high stress. There were people shouting. There were objects flying. Our peds emergency department is right next door. So they come running over with the warmer. OB gets there right after the baby comes out, which was great because then they could do the placenta and all that other stuff. But it was a really Uh, simple delivery, right? Nothing. It just like popped out on and you were like, oh, look. It was actually not a really simple delivery. Uh, So let's let's talk about it. So what what was presenting? Let me tell you, was it a foot that was coming out? No, it was a beautiful head of hair. Okay. So that's that's one thing that That makes us a little feel a little bit better. Breathe easy. Number one. Excellent. Beautiful head of hair, a beautiful head came out, but then everything kind of stopped for a little bit. Mm, okay. Felt like probably a million years. I think my heart totally stopped beating. Um, she was on a stretcher, so it wasn't ideal positioning, search, certainly. So we, we kind of repositioned the patient, got her totally in the hyperflex lithotomy position. Excellent. And one of my co-residents, Liz Franzek, was there with me, and she started to do some suprapubic pressure. Uh, because our concern was that this was a shoulder dystocia. It was right, a very right. big head. Okay. Uh, the super pubic pressure didn't really work in of itself, but I was able to get my fingers uh, in behind the anterior shoulder and adducted that shoulder forward, and then the baby slipped out nicely onto the stretcher. So Very nice. So you positioned the patient with her legs flexed at the hip up all the way to sort of maximize the pelvic outlet to exactly. get the most room to get those shoulders out. And exactly. then you slipped a finger in and you were, you kind of rotated the shoulders up to position them. Is that right? Yeah. I rotated that anterior shoulder, the one that was stuck behind the pubic symphysis forward toward the baby's chest, Excellent. which decreases the diameter from shoulder to shoulder and helps get the baby out. Very cool. So some very basic shoulders associated maneuvers, but you know, again, something that gives us a lot of sort of angina and and gives us a lot of angst when we're having to actually take care of it. So uh, now I know this was like the perfect timing because what was it that we did in conference the day before? Literally the day before we simmed OB precipitous deliveries and shoulder dystocias. You cannot make this up. I couldn't even believe it. Less than 24 hours later, what am I doing? That's amazing. So it's always nice when you get something and then you actually get to translate it. We can see that happen. So we simmed shoulder dystocia with the OBs on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, you get this patient. 
and it was that OB attending who was oh, like, oh, that's always nice down. too. And, and like, she's, hey. you're just like deja vu. Like, well, am I in the matrix? Like, what is going on here? Yeah, I emailed our sim team immediately afterwards, and they were really excited. <laughs> That's very cool. You know, I know a couple of years ago, one of our um, now faculty members, when he was a resident, we did like a, a simulation workshop, and we also did an anatomy workshop at the same time. And one of the procedures we did was lateral canthotomy, and he literally left the lab at 12 o'clock, and at 12.45, while he was working clinically, they did a lateral canthotomy. And he emailed me, and he goes, I don't even understand. I don't know what to do with this. This is the most amazing thing ever. It was it was awesome, and the attending that I was working with also happened to go to Sim, which they don't always go every time. Right. He happened to be at conference that day, and he was like, "I'm so happy I was at conference." <laughs> <laughs> well, that is very cool. It's always nice, like I said, to have it just taught to you and then be able to translate it to an actual patient care. Now, that was part of the workshop we did. The other part of the workshop we focused on postpartum hemorrhage, and that's what we actually plan to discuss today. Now, as far as shoulder dystocia, there was a really good article in the Journal of Emergency Medicine that we reviewed, actually you reviewed for a core content post a couple months back. So check out the core content post. We'll link that in the show notes. Check out the Journal of Emergency Medicine article on shoulder dystocia. It gives you sort of all of the basic positions to go through when you're dealing with a patient who either has shoulder dystocia or potentially you're dealing with shoulder dystocia. Now let's bounce back to our topic that we wanted to talk about, postpartum hemorrhage. Now, Jenny, postpartum hemorrhage, pretty rare presentation. I'm going to go ahead and guess that you didn't have both the shoulder dystocia and the postpartum hemorrhage, oh, right? No thank, no, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but a basic review of postpartum hemorrhage, very helpful. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, so I was at this workshop, and I can say that I was not only caught off guard by the postpartum hemorrhage case, but I didn't really have all the knowledge I would have needed for the actual management. Yeah. So being one of the instructors in the session, I was pretty well prepared because, you know, I had the teacher's edition in hand with all the answers. But prior to reading the teacher's edition, I can't say that this is a presentation I was comfortable with. So Jenny, what were sort of the big things that you took away from this part of our workshop? So first of all, don't relax once the baby is out and looks good. In all deliveries, there are two patients. We often get focused on the baby as soon as it comes out because it's so exciting. And then we forget about the mother. The typical vaginal delivery has about 500 milliliters of blood loss. Anything more than that, be concerned for postpartum hemorrhage. Blood loss isn't always brisk either. It can simply be moderate and prolonged. So once you've identified that there's a postpartum hemorrhage, rally your consultants. OB if you've got them, and if you don't, surgery. Next, start with the basic things we always do. Make sure the patient has two large bore IVs, provide supplemental oxygen if needed, and put the patient on the monitor. Yeah, there's basically only two steps in the management of postpartum hemorrhage. Provide intravascular volume to replete what is being lost, and then identify and correct the underlying issue. Now, of course, the second part of that, a little bit trickier. Yeah, there's only two steps, but the second one isn't so easy. <laughs> Fair enough. So let's dive a little bit deeper into this. As soon as the baby's out, make sure the placenta delivers after the baby and that it's intact. Retained products of conception is one of the sources of bleeding. Now, the most common source is uterine atony, which is involved in about 80% of cases. Yeah, so basically the uterus doesn't contract down after delivery. On examination, the uterus is going to feel boggy. We can treat this first by manual massage in conjunction with medications. Manual massage is performed by external massage of the uterine fundus. This can be accompanied by the administration of oxytocin or cytotec. Hemorrhage should slow considerably within minutes of administering oxytocin. 
Yeah, typically we're going to start oxytocin and escalate to the other agents if that fails. We'll drop a full list of medication options and dosing in the show notes because it's not something that you should really plan to memorize since these cases are so rare. Now, if manual massage maneuver doesn't work to slow or halt the bleeding, bimanual massage can be instituted as well. So here you're going to place one hand inside the vagina, make a fist to massage the anterior wall of the uterus while the other hand externally massages as you were doing before. If the patient continues to bleed despite bimanual massage and drugs, you can perform uterine tamponade by packing with sterile gauze or placing a Foley catheter into the atonic uterine cavity and inflating the balloon to perform the tamponade. Yeah, if you're going to go this far, you're really going to need an obstetrician or a surgeon down because this patient is going to need to go to the operating room. Hopefully, our consultants are already present. Although most of the patients will need surgery, uterine artery embolization with interventional radiology is an alternate option. So if you've got that in your hospital, you may want to give them a call as well. Now, what other causes of postpartum hemorrhage, aside from the acne and the retained products, do we need to worry about? The two other big ones are uterine inversion and DIC. Uterine inversion is really pretty rare, and you can recognize it by seeing the uterine fundus within the vaginal vault. Shock develops in about 40% of patients with inversion, so it's a scary thing. Treatment is going to be repositioning the uterus, which is best handled in the operating room. Yeah, so you can try to replace that uterus, but you may not be able to do that. And a lot of the books, when I read about this, they talk about doing procedural sedation. So now you've got a patient who's hemorrhaging and shocky, and you're going to have to sedate them to do it. It seems like it's probably going to be a little bit beyond what we have to do. Fortunately, uterine inversion only occurs in one in seven or 8,000 live births. So not something you're going to have to deal with very often. DIC, or disseminated intravascular coagulation, also pretty rare, and it's a consumptive coagulopathy. So the body is chewing up all the clotting factors and platelets, and this leads to compromise of hemostasis. These patients are going to need lots of blood products, and although we don't know exactly how to treat this disease or have a really good way around it, you're definitely going to be giving packed red cells, FFP, probably PCC, maybe factor 7, and even TXA. Yeah, it's a kitchen sink situation, right? Exactly. <laughs> so in the absence of any of those other diagnoses, you'll also want to look for rupture of the uterus, a rare complication, and then, of course, lacerations within the genital tract. Yeah, a nice way to remember the approach to postpartum hemorrhage is by thinking about the five T's. So T number one is tissue. Think about retained products. Number two is tone or uterine atony. We're going to treat that with massage and then uterotonic medications like oxytocin and cytotec. T is for trauma. Look for uterine rupture, inversion, or genital lacerations. The fourth T is for thrombin. Think about DIC or other underlying bleeding abnormalities. And finally, let's focus on treatment. The last T, IV access, blood products, massage, uterotonic medications, and think about tamponade as well. All right, Jenny, why don't you go ahead and take us home? Anytime you've got a delivery, remember not to forget about the mother once the baby comes out. If there's more than 500 milliliters of bleeding, call it postpartum hemorrhage and begin treatment. Replace intervascular volume with blood products. Make sure the placenta is intact and that there are no retained products. Feel the uterus for atony, and if it's present, start with massage and administer oxytocin. If you still can't stop the bleeding, tamponade with gauze or place a Foley catheter. Consider the unusual things like DIC and uterine inversion, and of course, get your consultant on board as a trip to the OR may be necessary. 
Great summary. Well, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We're going to have a core post up this Wednesday on open fractures and a journal update on the treatment of nausea with isopropyl alcohol. Visit us on Facebook, visit our Google Plus page, and follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks, and see you all next week.